Welcome to Beyond the Flow of Time, a podcast all about Chrono Trigger. My name is Steve. I think I actually forgot to mention that last episode, but I'd like to start by thanking everyone who has chosen to join me for this third episode. Today we'll be discussing 2300 AD. Just a quick apology, I mentioned before that Robo would be in this episode, but there's a lot of stuff to cover, so unfortunately I'll have to revisit that topic at a later date. Just a quick heads up if you didn't notice the length of this episode, but it's a bit more than usual. I'm trying to keep them in like the 30 minute area, but this one needed to be a little bit longer. It's split into two halves with a brief intermission to make it easier for people like me who are busy and maybe only able to listen to a little bit at a time. And if this format works well, it may be my new approach moving forward. Also, just like every episode, I'm about to give a spoiler warning, and be warned because if you stick around, there are major spoilers ahead. If you've played the game, I hope you enjoy the breakdown and my interpretation of certain events. If you haven't played or are currently playing, I highly recommend you revisit this episode at a later date. If you chose to continue, you have been warned. When the party first arrives in 2380, it doesn't take long to figure out things are vastly different from anything they have seen thus far. Stepping out into the overworld is a shock. There is no flora or fauna, not even so much as a blade of grass. The sky is dark and foreboding, storm clouds clash in the distance and something, be it snow or ash, is continually falling from the sky. Hypothetically, depending on the severity of the cataclysmic event, ash can remain in the atmosphere for years. Nuclear winter then occurs, so I feel like what is falling from the sky is a mixture of ash and tainted snow. Party arrives in the Banger Dome, fleeing the events of the trial, which we will discuss at a later date, and Luca immediately recognizes it as an advanced civilization. Aside from the gate, the only other thing to take note of is a sealed door similar to the sealed chest the party has already encountered. To the south of the Banger Dome is the Tran Dome. Much to the party's shock, and mine my first time playing, there are humans here despite the obvious degree of desolation that has befallen Xenon and the other continents. The people here are fully convinced that there is food in the Eris Dome to the northeast, but the trek through Lab 16 is the only way to get there and it's riddled with mutants. The group also discovers a machine in the Trandome called an Enertron, and the heartbreaking realization that this machine will keep an organic life form alive, but does nothing to sate hunger. HP and MP restored, but you're still hungry. The charred remnants of skyscrapers riddle the horizon, and as the group treks through Lab 16, renamed Site 16 in the new translations, there are ruined shells of automobiles, traffic lights, and storefronts nestled atop cracked sidewalks and broken pavement. Now, to us, this is a common scene in fiction, but Chrono Trigger brought it to life before many popular movies, shows, and games, and decades before The Walking Dead and The Last of Us would become household names. Such narratives did exist in the 50s and 60s, with more novels published on the topic of the apocalypse than I ever imagined. 
Literary Hub has a list of the top 50 ever published if you're interested. Fast forward to the 80s and a handful of films drew from this narrative, but the mid to late 90s saw a huge rise into end of days type media. Chrono Trigger predates nearly every mainstream apocalyptic video game, including the beloved Fallout series, but it was Final Fantasy VI and its mind-bending, gut-twisting second act that may just take the cake here. To me, for a plethora of reasons, many of which we will discuss later in the episode, a few we will discuss at a later date, 2300 AD in Chrono Trigger parallels two films. The first is Terminator 2 Judgment Day, which actually predates Chrono Trigger, but not by much. I think the film released in 1991, and present day in Terminator 2 is 1995, the year Chrono Trigger released. And they each portray a pre-2000 apocalypse, popular in both media and in conspiracy theories of the time, as Y2K was rapidly approaching. So if I said I love time travel, sentient robots living in a ravaged future where they hunted and killed any human they could find, forcing the last of mankind to hide and ration what little supplies they could find, while a hero from the past with lineage directly tied to the future worked desperately to change the timeline, would you think I was talking about Chrono Trigger or Terminator? The other film, and we won't go in-depth just yet, is The Matrix, which released in 1999, which Chrono Trigger predates by about four years. And I apologize for all the uh, semi-off-topic rants. It's just kind of how my brain works. So back on topic, as you're walking through the streets of Site-16, it's easy to recognize the carnage. But just imagine what a couple of time-traveling teenagers would think. A future they were never supposed to see under normal circumstances is in desolation and ruin. They don't know what skyscrapers are, or what a car is, nor what its purpose would be. And then we encounter the grotesque life forms that reside in 2300 AD, no doubt mutated by some form of radiation. We see rats as well, and although they aren't seen, cockroaches are probably scurrying about in the dark crevices of the wasteland. To my knowledge, no other normal life forms exist. The looming question is simply, what caused this? Further exploration will lead Chrono and crew into the Eris Dome, where more of the last humans are living in filth, without food or water, keeping themselves alive with the use of an Enertron. Like I said before, these machines regenerate the body, much like a good night's sleep would do, and keep the body alive but they do nothing to sate hunger. So this remnant is surviving in horrid conditions in a state of perpetual hunger. Such is the hubris of man. To hold technology in high esteem, but rarely consider the everlasting consequences and the toll it takes on the human body. We are flesh and bone, soul and spirit, designed to take from the land and give back. But when the world ended, a pathway was still open that led to survival. One could argue these survivors might have been better off to have perished with the others. Another question arises. Is the Enertron div divinely inspired? One could argue either side. Remove the Enertron from the timeline, erase its existence from memory, 
and when the world ends, it truly ends, for one could argue that as long as there is one soul residing on Earth, it hasn't truly ended. Humans become extinct, and that's it. Game over, man. Just give up the rock to the machines and be done. But with the Enertron, humanity has a contingency, a failsafe, if you will. As long as they aren't killed or contract some deadly disease, they don't die. Residing over the last humans is the Elder Doan, whose lineage traces all the way back to the earliest humans. He is a direct descendant of the director of the information center in which he now resides. So how old is he? How many generations have passed? Why is his lineage so important that he tells Chrono? Could it be the only thread of hope he clings to? Or he wanted to be the leader so bad that he used his lineage to get into that position? My theory is that he is much older than he should be. At the end of the game, he's still old, even after disaster has been averted. The man could possibly be 300 years old by my calculations, having survived on an Enertron for centuries. The population is scarce and probably for a few reasons. Children are likely born more by accident than they are planned, like only a fool would intentionally bring a child into a world like that. Also, given the conditions outside, many would likely die of disease or exposure or by an encounter with a mutant. We find out later that Doan's lineage can be traced all the way back to 65 million BC. He is one of the last alive whose bloodline started with one of the first who came to be. And his name, Doan, is taken from Gaelic Doan, which means little and dark. The inhabitants of Aristome simply cannot believe the group survived coming east through Site 16 from the Trandome. Doan and his group tell of a storage center for food in the level below, along with a huge computer that many have tried to get to, but none have returned from. The inhabitants also tell of a factory farther to the east and yet another dome, but nobody can get near because of the lunatic robots. One woman advises you can get through to the continent to the south by means of sewer access, but warns to stay off Death Peak. Another warns of a crackpot living in the dome near Death Peak. So these people know things, insinuating that at one time there may, it may not have been as bad as it is now. And if that's the case, then Dome may not actually be ancient, he could very well have record of his lineage, and at one point before the mutants reproduced to massive populations, and before the machines replicated themselves, people could visit other domes or at least by some degree send messages and trade information. The group travels below the Aristome, and it doesn't take long to find out why nobody has returned from its depths. The giant mechanical guardian, simply called Guardian, descends and immediately attacks. It is called Gado Machine in Japanese, which translates roughly to Guard Machine. The fight with this hulking monstrosity is tough, but upon its defeat you are granted access into the area it was programmed to protect. Alright, so let's take a little break. I'll play some music while I'm gone. A song called People Without Hope by Alex Rincon. It's about three minutes long, so give it a listen. And if not, then feel free to fast forward. But just know if you do skip this song, you're missing out on a fantastic lo-fi remake. 
So once inside, you find the rumors of food storage are true, but the refrigeration units have failed. Luca comes to this conclusion after Marl comments on how the area reeks. All the food is completely rotten. And I can't even imagine the smell. Like, I know I'm not the only one who's forgotten vegetables in the bottom of the fridge or, like, maybe accidentally pushed a pack of chicken to the back. And that smell is horrid enough. But to be in a storage unit with enough food to feed an entire dome and all of it is spoiled, like that would be a stench that you would not soon forget. Nestled against the back wall, the group finds the remains of a dome dweller, long deceased, his body having succumbed to decay along with the food. He's holding some seeds and the party takes them. I don't think it's explicitly explained, but it is heavily implied that he was gravely injured by the Guardian. He did not defeat it, obviously, but somehow he managed to make it past, and then upon searching desperately for a way to feed his family, stumbled upon the seeds and died grasping onto the only hope that he could find in a lost and dying world. Another theory that I concocted is that upon entering, he 
did find plenty of perfect, perfectly preserved food, but the guardians shut down the refrigeration and trapped him inside. Having some knowledge of gardening and crop growth, he collected the seeds and held them near and dear, hoping that if any other robots came in, they would ignore his dead body, thus securing a modicum of chance that someone would later find him. He is referred to only as Daddy by his child and as Husband by his wife, which a collective term for farming and crop growth is husbandry. And seeing as lineage is a very integral part of Chrono Trigger, this man could very well be a descendant of Fiona and Marco, but it is not known whether the two of them had any children before their passing. And so as the group continues their exploration, catching a rat that knows the secret of the dome, and it could be that this rat is a robot disguised to look like a normal creature, somewhat akin to another creature we meet later on. And so after being caught, the rat divulges all that it knows and tells you how to access a secret passage that takes you to the information center where a large computer resides, still operational. Using said computer, Luca locates the protodome, and Marl, being curious and slightly oblivious, asks what a certain button does, and before anyone can react, she pushes it. And she accidentally initiates a video file. Luca, dumbfounded, reads the name aloud. 1999 AD? Visual record of the Day of Lavos? And they watch stricken with horror as the video depicts a lush and populated world, not too dissimilar from their own, but with paved roads and pristine domes, suddenly ravaged by a giant parasitic creature emerging from the underbelly of the earth, raining down fire and chaos on the land. Literally everything is destroyed, the landscape is forever changed, and most of humanity is killed in the process. In total shock, the group realizes fully where they are and what has happened, leading them to believe that a single event, taking place in a matter of moments on a single day, has caused the literal end of the world. They decide to change it, to utilize their ability to travel through time. Lucas states that in good conscience, she cannot go back to her own time and live out her life peacefully, now having been cursed with the knowledge of the future. They set out to find more information on Lavos and seek to change the future. I'll cover the day of Lavos like much more in depth in another episode. And so returning to the surface, they present the seeds to Doan, much to the dismay of the other residents who never expected their survival, but upon seeing them were devastated to find they didn't return with food. Doan agrees to plant the seeds, stating they just might be their future and presents the group with the jet bike key as they will need it to cross Site-32. The woman mourns the loss of her husband as realization sets in, and desperately tries to put hope in the seeds, while the child simply thinks their daddy is just taking his time. So deep underground in the sewer access, the group encounters a myriad of monsters, and the ruler of the sewers, Sir Crawley, a grotesque, giant, bug-like creature, the sewers are his dominion, and he orders about his henchmen until his demise at the hands of Chrono. So not much is known about Crawley. I scoured the internet, and the only interesting thing about him I could find was his name in Japanese, 
is Kurori-sama, which, as far as I can tell, translates roughly to black, corrupt, official, with Sama being a formal title like that of Sir. He is known in the English version as Sir Crowley, which could be a play on Crowley, the famed occultist. And this is just my speculation, but given the amount of names changed like to pop culture references, I don't think it's too far-fetched. And there is so much more to cover, but I do believe I'll stop here for today. I'll wrap up this episode with some thank yous and credits. I hope you like this and continue to come back. I've enjoyed having you. First of all, another huge thank you to the fine folks on the Chronoverse Facebook page and the Chrono Trigger Facebook page for their love and support. It means a lot. I'm working diligently to figure out a way to host everybody like long distance and of course like always the thumbnail is by ricardo burquez you can find him on behance or deviant art by the handle coburquez the intro this time is the post-apocalyptic ambient track by alexander zelenov the spoiler warning sound by is wasteland caravan by vitalez the music playing during the intermission was people without hope by alex rincon Check him out on Spotify, Apple Music, SoundCloud, Facebook, or YouTube. He's got a lot of stuff. It's really good. The outro was And Then We Left by Kim Lightyear. And the ambient effects throughout the episode were Horror Atmosphere by Subspace Audio. This podcast is available on all major platforms. You can visit Beyond the Flow of Time on Facebook to find links or search your favorite podcast app. Also, if you have any ideas or topics you'd like discussed, art, fan fiction, anything at all, you can email me at beyondtheflowoftime at gmail.com or message the Facebook page. And I do apologize. I misjudged my brother would be here to co-host, so I've had to change a few things around. Episode four will now be Earth's Child, and it will cover a certain prehistoric fan favorite, and it will be available near the end of April. And the Demon King, of which my brother Seth will be joining me to discuss his favorite character and all the mysteries surrounding him, has been pushed back to be episode five and will release later, kind of in early May. And thank you for listening.